Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the dungeon into which all new planning information is dumped, and extract the key things you need to know. So, coming up, the key news for the past fortnight and what it means for you. Housing Secretary Michael Gove has announced that a new draft of the National Planning Policy Framework will come out next month. We'll explore the implications. He's also told Parliament that he will take steps to ensure that the planning inspectorate does not impose unrealistically high housing need figures on communities. We ask what that might mean. And MPs were critical of the planned new infrastructure levy during last week's second reading of the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill. We'll find out what they're concerned about. And in our deep dive section, I'll be talking to our regular contributor, David Blackman, about how the Leveling Up Bill proposes to change strategic planning arrangements and the likely implications for planning authorities and developers. By the end of the show, you should know enough to survive any chance encounter with the chief executive at the coffee machine. So, time to don the safety goggles. Ready to go in? Okay. Well, here we are again in room 106, the crypt in which all new planning information collects. It looks as if someone is trying to clear a bit of space for the new MPPF draft. But it's still pretty cluttered. Anyway, John, tell us about the first of your key news stories from the past two weeks. So my first story is the news that Michael Gove said in the House of Commons last week that a new draft of the National Planning Policy Framework, or MPPF, will be published next month. So what does Gove mean by a new NPPF? Yes, that threw us a bit, because clearly there would always be a consultation on something as far-reaching as an update to the NPPF, and he didn't refer to a a new draft of the NPPF. And documents published by the government since the Leveling Up Bill was published and comments by officials said that there would be a prospectus of the NPPF changes to come out, which sounds a lot like a consultation document. So we asked the Leveling Up and Housing Department about what Gove actually meant, and they confirmed that they will be publishing a prospectus on the proposed MPPF changes next month, not the revised MPPF itself. Okay. And what has the government previously said about revising the framework in light of the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill? Our readers will know that the MPPF was last revised in the summer of 2021, and we knew that the government was intending to update the MPPF Um, It's been talking about that for at least six months, particularly in terms of revising it to meet its net zero goals. And after the bill was published, the government also published a policy document which said that the government intends to make a number of changes to the MPPF to support effective implementation of the bill. And it said it will consult on a vision document outlining the proposed changes. And then not long after that, Joanna Raverley, the chief planner, was speaking at our National Planning Summit And she said the changes to the MPPF in the wake of the bill would be set out in what she called a prospectus, which would be consulted on. And then the revised MPPF itself would be subject to further consultation. Okay, so it sounds like this is is one of a number of stages that this is going to go through. Yes, that's right. I think Michael Gove's comments jumped the gun a bit in terms of um, talking about the new MPPF. Okay. And has there been any indication of what those revisions might be? Yes, well, the policy document that I previously referred to revealed a lot of details, actually, about the government's intentions to revise the MPPF. 
And some of the key ones that it talks about were refocusing the MPPF on plan making. One of the big changes that was announced when the bill came out was this intention to create a nat- what it, the government called a national development management policies document to guide decision making. And it said that that will be published as a, as a separate document and the rest of the MPPF will be refocused on setting out the principles to be taken into account in plan making. So obviously that's a big change. The MPPF review would also look at whether the current tests on local plan soundness at examination are sufficiently proportionate. It would take account of the government's intentions to scrap the five-year housing land supply requirement if a council's got an up-to-date local plan. It also would be updated to improve environmental outcomes and take account of uh, measures introduced in other bills, the Environment Act and the new energy security strategy, and also changes around the historic environment policies to make the green belt greener as well. Okay, so some quite some actually the, the, uh, quite a lot of the major changes that were announced in the bill need to be enacted through this revision to the MPPF. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I guess it would always be the case that something interesting, all these far-reaching changes, the planning system would have to be reflected in national policy anyway. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, um, thanks very much for that. But there was some other stuff that emerged during that debate. Am I right in thinking that you're, you also want to talk about for, your, for the second story? Yes, yeah, so my second story is further comments by Michael Gove in the same debate in the House of Commons. And the debate was the second reading of the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill. And it was a six-hour debate. And obviously, there were lots of questions from MPs about it. So Gove said that um, planning inspectors have been operating counter to ministerial wishes in relation to local plans and speculative appeal decisions. And he will be taking steps to make sure that inspectors do not impose on local communities unrealistically high housing need figures. Okay, so that sounds rather strange things for Gove to say, uh, because one assumes that all the inspectorate is trying to do is apply government policy when it's um, when, it, when it's making its decisions. So what, what exactly did, did Gove mean? Well, it's not entirely clear. So the first point, he acknowledged that inspectors have simply been following government policy. So he wasn't really criticising inspectors for misapplying government policy. So clearly he's saying that the policy needs to be changed to reflect ministerial wishes. Okay. And he talked about two areas in which the government wants to do that. The first is when the planning inspectorate is reviewing a local plan and deciding when it is sound, it does not impose on local communities an obligation to meet figures on housing need that cannot be met given the environmental and other constraints in particular communities. So he's talking about local plan examinations and um, planning inspectors' consideration of housing targets and local plans and how they relate to the, the local housing need figures. The second area relates to the proposal in the bill to scrap the five-year housing land supply requirement if a council has got an up-to-date local plan. And Gove said the government would end abuse of the five-year land supply rules and make sure that if local authorities have sound plans in place, there cannot be such speculative developments. And he went on to say that in these two areas, PINS has in effect been operating in a way that runs counter to what ministers have said over and over again. And this has got to change through both legislation and changes to the MPPF. It's very strange, though, because he's saying they're running counter to ministers' wishes, but we need to change government policy 
and the law in order to make both reflect ministers' wishes so that in following government policy and the law, inspectors can for the first time be following government wishes. That seems to be what he's saying, yes. Right. But it it is odd, you think, well, why hasn't the government previously changed policy and laws to reflect what they actually wanted? Yes. And one backbench Tory MP, the former Environment Secretary, Theresa Villiers, actually pointed out in a question to Gove that there were no proposals in the bill as it stands to rein in the planning inspectorate and give back to local authorities more control over planning. She asked if amendments along these lines would be tabled and Gove's answer suggested that there might be. So what has Gove previously said about this? Well, in November, he appeared before the Housing and Levelling Up Select Committee and he made similar comments there where he said that PINs sometimes lacked what he called sophistication in dealing with local housing requirements and for not taking, in his words, reasonableness into account when examining local plans. So again, he's he's talking there about how inspectors consider local housing need figures and, and housing targets in local plans and it suggests he's looking for a more, um, perhaps more flexible approach and the government's keen to see plans in place that really reflect what local communities want. And clearly there's a bit of a tension there between local housing need figures, which are a requirement at the moment, and communities, local communities' wishes. So how has PINs responded to all this? So a PIN spokesman told planning that planning inspectors perform a very challenging role, having to determine the soundness of local plans in the face of many competing local and national priorities. And in doing so, they work in accordance with planning legislation and government planning policy and will continue to do so, however they may be framed in future. So they're making clear that, as Gove said, that planning inspectors have been following government policy and government laws, and they will continue to do so, even if the government changes the rules. Okay, very interesting. It does feel that Gove is is somehow saying, um, well, as I think you've really been pointing out, is that on one level, Gove is saying, we know the rules we know the inspectorate are simply applying our rules. And on another level, he's sending out a message which is somehow suggesting that this group of bureaucrats at arm's length from the government who are somehow defying the government's wishes in, in, in taking the actions that they take. It all seems a bit unfair on the inspectorate. Yes, and it's not the first time the ministers have tried to distance themselves from PIN's decisions. Yeah, it's fairly extraordinary though, isn't it? It's It's like saying... If somebody complains about um, uh, some other aspect of government activity, suggesting that you know, regrettably, the machinery of government is operating against the, the government's wishes, it's a, uh, it's it's all very odd. Okay, John, and then finally um, on to another sort of levelling up and regeneration bill story. Yes, that's right, and again, it's from the same debate, and it was noticeable in the debate that clearly MPs had a lot of questions about this bill because it's, there's so many far-reaching changes in there to the planning system. But in particular, a lot of backbench Tory and opposition MPs voiced concerns about the proposed new infrastructure levy. This is obviously one of the key measures in the bill, one of the key changes to the planning system that will see um, a new infrastructure levy introduced that's going to replace the current community infrastructure levy. And in most cases, Section 106 agreements, although we'll still keep those for some schemes. And these MPs felt that the these proposed, the proposals in the bill, as it stands for the new levy, lack detail. And they're concerned about 
the requirement for developers to pay cash to mitigate the impact of their schemes when the scheme is completed rather than up front because they're saying that will be um, it's much better for councils to get the money up front. Okay, so these are a lot of, lot of concerns being raised by MPs on behalf of local government as opposed to raising concerns about how this is going to affect developers. Yes, that's right. There were a lot of them were speaking about concerns from a local government perspective. I mean, Labour in particular were very critical of the lack of details in the bill. The shadow housing levelling up secretary, Lisa Nandy, said there was no clarity in the bill about whether it will raise more or less money than the current system, no clarity about whether it will boost affordable housing. And she said that it was really important for MPs to know the answers now about that as they scrutinise the bill rather than further down the line. What's particularly interesting was is the concerns raised by Tory MPs and um, as well as Labour MPs about the timing of when developers pay the levy. So at the moment, the proposal is that the levy will be calculated based on a scheme's final gross development value, so after it's completed. But one Tory MP said that it would be better if local authorities receive some potentially staged payments earlier on so they can begin to put in place some of the infrastructure that's needed for new developments. Yeah, because I guess part of the argument for charging the fee at the end is it's only at the end when you really know what the development's worth, but then the expenditure that's needed to mitigate the impact of the development is ideally needed at the start. And that's what I guess one of the big attractions of the community infrastructure levy is that it's levied on commencement of the scheme. Yes, that's right. And we know that ministers are very keen on the land value capture element of this new levy. And that's why they're, it's, the idea is it's paid at the end when you have a, a sense of the development value and, and capturing that. But yeah, there's a tension between that and the keenness of local authorities to get their hands on the cash as soon as possible. How did ministers respond to these criticisms? So Stuart Andrew, the housing minister, said the government's going to run a test and learn approach, in his words. He said they're holding a series of roundtables with sector stakeholders to get the proposals right. And he also said it is important to remember that councils can borrow against the levy so they can bring the infrastructure in as soon as the development is happening. OK, well, that's interesting. So that, that provides a way in which they um, the system could provide money up front, although there's sometimes been nervousness, hasn't there, about letting local authorities borrow to do this kind of thing? Yes, yes, that's right. And Michael Gove has also pointed out about the um, that the government is open to amendments, or, or the government is has suggested that there's going to be there may be quite a few amendments to the bill further down the line. Well, one of the things that's interesting about all this is it you can't really blame the government for being cautious about what is a major change and wanting to stress test the idea. And I think there's also been talk about gradually introducing it in different places across the country. But it does make you feel like it could be an awfully long time before this new infrastructure levy actually comes into practice. Yes, and it's something that all councils are going to have to introduce, so it's not discretionary like the current community infrastructure levy. So um, it's definitely something councils are concerned about now. And um, and then there's there's clearly lots to, to iron out before it's in its finalised form. But they're not all going to have to introduce it, yes, and it no. could be a while before they um, were in a position where it's widespread. Did uh, MPs raise any other concerns about the bill's proposals? Yes. One other area that 
MPs seemed worried about was this measure in the bill to create a new national development management policies document. And some MPs described it as a central government power grab. And some of the MPs who voiced concerns about this include Clive Betts, who's chair of the Leveling Up and Housing Select Committee. It seems to be the, the conflict between this central policy document and local plans because the the bill itself says that where there is a conflict between the national development management policy and the development plan the conflict must be resolved in favor of the national development management policy and clive betts said that for him this shows that the um, this would override the local plan yeah that's that's been a widespread criticism to the extent that as i think we may have said earlier that local plans are supposed to in future in this new world omit local development management policies and and leave that all to these these national policies so that has been quite a widespread criticism what did uh, michael gove have to say in response well interestingly he said and this is a direct quote that this new national development management policies document will not override local plans and he went on to say that local plans have primacy that is perfectly clear in this legislation so there's clearly slightly confusing message there okay because that's not how most people have read it is it most people have read the bill and its accompanying documents as saying that the uh, national development management policies where there's a conflict will override local plans yeah well the bill itself says that where there is a conflict the conflict must be resolved in favor of the the national policy document okay so so gove seems to have completely contradicted that in parliament which is very odd okay well thank you very much john anything else to say about the bill Well, just that that was the second reading and now the bill's going to be heard at the committee and report stage where there can be amendments and then it'll be followed by a third reading and it'll be passed on to the House of Lords who can make further changes. So we're likely to be hearing a lot more news about the bill, uh, the bill's progress and potential changes for a while yet. Okay. Well, many thanks, John. Of course, more details of all these stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. But now I'm going to have to leave you for a bit to do this week's deep dive. See you later. See you later. Okay, so now to find David Blackman, who's sequestered in the cavern holding the levelling up and regeneration bill. It's just a matter of following this thread that he's thoughtfully attached to the wall. I can just see a glimmer of light in the distance. Ah, David, good to see you. Ah, hello, Richard. Good to see you again. Um, You've been in here for a while, I know. You've been looking at how the levelling up bill might affect strategic planning arrangements. That's right, yes. I've got as far as strategic planning and the duty to cooperate. Fantastic. Okay. well, can you just give us, to start off with, just give us an overview of how the how the bill proposals would change the current planning arrangements? Well, first of all, the duty to cooperate will be no longer if this bill is passed, not to the regret of, uh, of, of many planners, I'm sure. And it'll be replaced with a so-called more flexible alignment test. And also there are also other provisions around strategic planning, like uh, moving towards more joint spatial development strategies rather than joint spatial plans. Okay. And in terms of this replacing the the duty to cooperate. What exactly is this alignment uh, requirement that they're introducing? Well, uh, thereby hangs the tale. Um, We don't have many details about this. We're probably going to get more details in an upcoming revision of the National Planning Policy Framework. 
Uh, that's according to Joanna Avalis. But she was she was she was saying at the planning summit last month that these uh, these proposals will be outlined in a prospectus, um, which will be consulted on. Okay, so that's the government's chief planner. That, that, that that's interesting. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and um, so what are these other changes in addition to the the replacement of the duty to cooperate? Yeah, so the main thing, Richard, is to replace joint strategic plans, current system, with what they're calling um, voluntary spatial development strategies. And these will be designed to address specific cross-boundary issues. The minimum number of local authorities that could prepare one of these is two. No upper limit on the number of that can participate. However, local planning authorities can't take an initiative to prepare a joint SDS if any part of the area they cover is within a mayoral or combined authority area. The idea is that the combined authority or the mayoral authority will, will, will take the lead there. Okay, so what is the government's thinking behind these proposals? Well, I mean, it looks like an, um, what some would regard as probably a, an overdue recognition that the duty to cooperate hasn't really worked. And so an attempt to try and find some way to kind of come up with a better way of getting local authorities to coordinate on joint planning issues. Okay, so what happens next in terms of the implementation of the measures? Right, well, first of all, this uh, so-called alignment test, as I said previously, that is due to be set out in the upcoming revision of the NPPF, and that, of course, will be the precise wording that will be consulted on in the future. And, of course, as regards the rest of it, well, it all depends upon what happens with the, with the progress of the bill in Parliament. Okay, okay. So you've been talking to people about the possible implications of all of this, if it, if it all comes through as, uh, as envisaged by the government. What, what are people saying? I mean, one clear concern of it is that this waters down what's at the moment a statutory requirement to uh, what Katrina Riddell, the uh, strategic planning specialist at the Planning Officer Society, described as an ongoing policy check. And also another, another concern is sort of um, with these new expectations to secure alignment with neighbouring local authorities, whether this will just put added pressure on councils to meet what's already a fairly attenuated 30-month target timetable for preparing local plans. They already have to do quite a lot within that fairly compressed timescale. And if they're going to be sort of trying to sort of secure agreement with neighbouring local authorities, that obviously could be sort of quite time-consuming and put that timetable under pressure. Okay. So I guess ultimately the question is, is it going to make this easier for neighbouring councils to, to work together on um, cross-border planning matters? Well, I don't think that people are very confident about that. I mean, nobody's, nobody's a big fan of the duty to cooperate, but there's not much clarity about what the sanction is if local authorities don't deal with strategic planning matters between themselves. There's no real incentive at the moment for local authorities to work together on joint arrangements. So... To be honest, people aren't expecting a huge take-up amongst local authorities to set up these joint arrange these new joint arrangements. Okay. The summary feeling is that there doesn't seem to be much sense that this is really a a significant step forward in terms of enabling strategic planning. Exactly. Yes, I think that's that would be the worry out in the planning community. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you very much, Richard. See you soon. See you soon. Right, now to find John again, so he can select his reader's choice. The story that's caught the eye of our readers without necessarily being a portentous planning issue. Ah, there he is. Hi, Richard. Hi, John. So, are you going to do something a bit different this week? 
Yes, that's right. For my reader's choice this week, I'm going to talk about our annual planning awards, which were held in central London last Thursday. It was the first in-person awards we've had for three years. We had 400 people there. Fantastic. There were 25 categories, and it was hosted by Justin Rowlett, the BBC's climate editor. And the winner of the top prize, which is the Editor's Choice Award, was a supplementary planning document that sets out child-friendly design principles, which was described by judges as the standout entry. And it was submitted by Hackney Council, and it's called Growing Up in Hackney, a Child-Friendly Places Supplementary Planning Document. And this document aims to embed child-friendly policies in new development that comes forward in Hackney. It outlines eight youth-centric principles of design with case studies and was adopted by the council in July 2021. And the 28 judges who were on our expert panel said that the document demonstrated a really excellent use of planning policy to embed a fundamental shift in how we view places for future generations and described as innovative and with the potential to have a significant long-term impact in the local area and community. They were really passionate about it, actually talking to them about it after the awards and um, also talking to Hackney Council. I think they've had at least one of the councillors talking to them about introducing something in their own area. Really? That's interesting. Is that a result of, of getting the award or just generally? Uh, no, I think I think that it was another London borough who'd probably heard through the grapevine. But um, yeah, maybe this will generate some more interest. Yeah, well, it sounds like they're really breaking new ground with it. Yeah, and thanks to our uh, award sponsors, RPS, Stantec, WECD, and also the support from the Planning Officers Society, all of which was uh, instrumental in making those awards happen. Right, well, thank you very much, John. I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great, that's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back in two weeks to give you another update on the key things happening in the sector. Our thanks to producers Aidan Lyons and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news plus weekly analysis, specialist bulletins and our quarterly print magazine, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.